I think as a real estate agent, no matter what the market does, there's always enough business for you. It's just a matter of, you know, getting the right, getting the right leads, offering the right, uh, having the right conversations with, with buyers and sellers, you know, making sure your, your expenses make sense for your revenue. It's like, if you, if you do all those kind of like basic things, I think, I think it just almost doesn't matter what the market does, right? If you're, if you're an order taker, if you're low sales skills, then your business is going to be a lot more market driven than driven by you. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, today I get to interview Dan Lesniak with the Kerry Scholl team. You know, I've, Dan has been on the show a couple times over the past, you know, five, six years. I think he was on once with Pat. Uh, I've interviewed him once on here and, but it's been a while. It's been, it's been a couple years, I think, since the last time we had a conversation. Him and I keep up with each other a lot online, on social media, what we're doing. We've done some, uh, Ironman races together and some other things. That's how, I think that was the first time we met was a half Ironman for St. George and yeah. before Go Bunnins, before anything else. How's it going out there? Good. I'm, I'm thrilled to be back on. I think the last time I was on, I was in this room, in this studio, but it was like, maybe like the first half of COVID kind of that time frame, like 2020 ish yeah. or so. So it's been a good three years. Yeah. I think it probably was. I think it was mid mid 2020 and the fear of the fear of COVID in real estate had changed to like the crazy market. And like, how do we make this crazy market happen? Or maybe it was right at that ship. You're in the Washington DC area, right? Yeah. Yeah. DC. And so we covered DC, uh, close in Maryland, Northern Virginia, all of those areas. So I wanted to jump right in. I know we're, we're going to get into stats thing, but I want to jump right into like the DC market. And here's why in times past, when I've talked to you, um, you know, we were, we talked about like, you know, back in 08, 09, 2010, housing markets crashing everywhere, but didn't really crash in DC. And then like when COVID first started and people were, stuff was slowing down or 2018, 2019, Washington DC seems to have a different level of demand than the rest of the country because it's growing consistently, right? Like government's getting bigger. A lot of government-based stuff is out there. There's demand that keeps that area flourishing. Um, and I'm curious now if, if that's still holding true because um, some markets people are telling me, hey, there's, there's buyers are coming back. Other places people are telling me like our market hasn't slowed down that much. Most people I'm talking to, though, the market has dramatically slowed down since March or April last year. What are you seeing out there? We definitely um, had a big slowdown in number of units last year. So second half of the year in particular, Q3 and Q4. Then in January, when the rates kind of went from the sevens to the low sixes, we started getting crowded open houses, multiple offers, bidding wars, um, not on all listings and properties, but on a lot of them. So 
it's been a busy six weeks. I don't know if the, you know, small drop in interest rates was just enough to get those, those people that kind of like stalled out in Q3 and Q4 for making a purchase. Like, you know, was that, was that just a month long blip of activity or signs that we're going to have a big spring? Uh, I don't know, but I've also been hearing similar stories from agents in, you know, many other markets in the country, like definitely Florida, Southern Virginia. Um, I've, I've kind of heard the same thing. So yeah, you know, yeah, we saw def- two definitely things. slow, you know, the second half of last year, but it, the, so far this year, it looks different. Yeah. I think a lot of people are telling me that at the beginning of the year. And it, I think it's a really good question to brainstorm over of, uh, I mean, so rates and affordability matters at hundred percent matters. It's impacting, you, know, you think of first time home buyers, first time home buyers will buy the biggest house they possibly can. They'll buy the biggest house they get approved for. They're willing to pay as much of their paycheck as the lender will let them, right? No matter right. what, but they're going to cap out. And I got a prequal on a house this week and it was for a $245,000 purchase. And it was at 7.375 is their interest rate. And I was thinking that buyer a year ago could have bought a house for $550,000. Essentially same payment. Yeah, They could have bought one for five fifty. dollars <laughs> Now they can only afford two fifty. So they, so they came to market, they're making that offer, but affordability does matter now. And he got that seven and a quarter after rates kind of drip blip back down. So maybe he was, you know, in a, in a worse scenario, uh, before that. So it's, so yes, but we've seen a lot of buyers coming back and we also saw a lot of people that were sellers take their home completely off the market. Just said, Hey, we're not going to see it. I've seen, um, my feeling of what the market's like right now is is what it was like. So in California in 2010, we had like, let's say 6,000 houses on the market, but 4,500 of them, 5,000 of them were bank owned or short sales, which really meant they were never going to sell. They were listed at 500,000, but the market was now at 300,000. And we had lots of buyers that were willing to pay or essentially we had a lot of buyers that were able to buy in that neighborhood for between 300 and 350, but the sellers couldn't sell them for that because they were upside down or REOs or they believed that the market was going to change. So it was kind of this stalled out market. And I kind of feel like we're at that right now. I think the, I think the pricing, the lists that come on the market where people can afford them uh, matters. I think that that blip in interest rates helped. Uh, we will see if it, um, if it also changed the mentality from people to go like, okay, I guess if rates are never going to be 3% again, it's time to start buying. I think it's going to be really tough in the higher price point houses to see people trade out though anymore. When I think of the house that I'm in, right? I'm in a like a crazy jumbo loan that I bought the day that Texas got shut down from COVID. I refinanced it in January last year at like 3%. And on like if I was going to move uh, into a house that's in the same if I was just going to move to another house in the neighborhood for the same price, you know, my payment goes up $15,000 a month or something. And you just go like, okay, I guess I'm not going to sell yeah. this thing. I know, I know eventually people get worn out from that, but I think all those things are going to be impacting. It'll be interesting to see what happens on the top end of the market. But are you, you're in all price points though? Yeah, we're, we're in all price points. I think, um, and we're in, we're, we do some business in Florida as well. I, 
I, I agree with you. I think so. There's there's people that like the move up buyer. I think is is the toughest one right now. But that when you look at what that does to the market, that takes a buyer and a seller out of the market. So it it it's almost from a pricing standpoint. I think it kind of doesn't have an effect from a velocity and turnover and what you know we do in real estate. It you know as agents, it's not good, right? We we'd mm-hmm. rather probably rather have prices come down and see more deals. But um, so the the move up buyer phenomena is interesting, right? Because you're you're essentially losing a buyer, losing a seller. But now these people that bought 3% interest rates, they might not be in their forever home, but they might be in the home that they're going to they're going to stay in it for a little bit longer now or until, yeah. until until like the second kid comes and forces them out. Right. Or some, you know, like they'll still move for life events, but um, it's definitely going to cause a decrease in volume, I think. Yeah. You know, I think everybody in real estate can agree on that right now, whether it's like whether we're going to have a correct pricing correction or whether we're going to have a pricing crash or whether we kind of already did. And like in, in Austin, for example, Central Texas, I think we've already had our adjustment. We've already had our big crash, but just not everybody's willing to sell for what the buyers are willing to pay for, right? And we don't have this crazy foreclosure volume, but it's like houses that were worth 500 are only trading for 325 now. Like, that's it. That's like, there's plenty that are listed at 500, but they're not selling. They're not closing. Right. Yeah. You know? But the, but what we can all say, but then there's people that are saying like, no. So there's disagreement on price. And is you know what's going on, but nobody is disagreeing on volume. That no matter what, the amount of closings happening is going way down. Like the biggest pivot of every, yeah, at least this year. Yeah, yeah, right. Things things happen and things change. Like who would have guessed that COVID would have all of a sudden put people on a buying spree? Right, right. Demand just went up so much higher. Like everyone just wanted to move, 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 move. And that was a very unique thing to have that put pressure on. So something else will put pressure on people wanting to move again but the volume goes down so the every so big challenge right now for most people is how is how do you handle less volume in your market so like what are you doing right now what are you telling you you have so many agents on on your teams you've got people that you coach and lead so if somebody right now is coming to you and saying like hey you know i was i was three percent of my local market, whatever I, I, i did this much of my market last year and this was my volume but now the volume's been down so much like, what should I expect to do this year? What can I do? Do I just take it easy and be grateful for anything I get? Like, what 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 strategies are you talking to people about right now? Yeah, definitely knowing your numbers, knowing where your leads are coming from, how much you're spending on it, knowing your ROI. Some of the lead sources we had had many years of success with, uh, the ROI went down, so we we shifted right. We we shifted away from certain ones and into others. So like, you know, track your expenses, track the ROI on your leads, cut, cut the ones that aren't working, reallocate into ones that are working. Um, get back to some of the, the free leads, right? Like pick it, pick up the phone and, and make phone calls. Um, expired and withdrawns all of a sudden have been a good area to, to hunt in compared to the number that there were, you know, in the last couple of years. So, um, you know, getting, getting a really good hold of your database. So, um, you know, events, communications to them, text, phone, email. One of the things we did last year, uh, we 
we shifted some of our client events and actually ended up doing smaller ones that cost way less, but gave us the ability to do more overall. So, hmm. you know, that was a way to get in front of more clients uh, at a lower cost. So we're, you know, we're, we're watching our expenses a lot more than we ever have. And then we're also trying to add agents and, and, you know, cause if, if you're running a team and, um, you know, it really doesn't cost you much to, to add agents. Um, so if you already have the infrastructure to support the leads, like, you know, get more agents in there and there's more agents right now we've noticed in the last couple of months that want to be on a team. Cause some of the ones, some of the agents that, you know, we're, we're good on their own when easy leads were coming in, you know, they, they need more leads and support and training right now. Yeah. That's a great point. Like when, the, when the, t- when times gets, get tough, like <laughs> going together is easier. Partnering with somebody is easier. The, whether it's like, whether it's people joining a team or it's people reaching out, whether it's growing your own team, and splitting stuff up, even when it comes to like lead costs and things like that. Because when you're tracking your ROI for a lead, one of the, I think the biggest challenges right now is that a lead a year ago, a buyer's lead a year ago was more than likely going to turn into a paid lead in the next 90 days. Like if there, if you were out there showing them houses in the next 90 days, you were going to get a commission. You were going to have an ROI come back on that Yep. or listing. You get a listing, your ROI is there. Now, um, what I'm hearing from a lot of people is you, you're get, you can get this lead, but it may take two years for this lead to become an <laughs> ROI paid thing now because they're interested. You're showing them some houses, they're seeing it, and they're like, ah, I just I can't afford what I was hoping. I can't, you know, they find like these really specific things like, all right, if I can get a house in that neighborhood, I will. But other than that, because of affordability, because of payments, and so people are, um, you know, the buyers have the benefit now of you're not always against multiple offers, but the downside is that buying power has made a big impact. So they're like going, hey, someday, Dan, I'm going to buy a house with you. And But how do you keep them on the hook over the next year or two mm-hmm. inside that to know, like, you want, when they're ready, you want them to come to you, but these leads are now a lot longer, like everything. And so it's when you're judging your ROI, that's tough. But if you start to team yeah. up with people... If you do it in a partnership, then maybe somebody else can deal with the colder leads or something. Or um, yeah, so we have a system on our team. We have you know database. Uh, in, uh, we use Follow Up Boss, but we've got a team of inside sales agents that will stay on top of them. So I think you have to um, automate if you can. If if you're not operating on a team, like automate your follow up and and your stay in touch plan. Uh, I think you should be emailing your entire database at least weekly. I know a lot of people say monthly, but I think weekly is better. And then whatever time frame they give you, we always cut it in half. So if they tell us like they're looking to buy in a year, we'll, we don't wait till a year. We, we start reaching out like in month five. So I always yeah. cut their timeline in half. Um, especially, you know, we noticed in, in the last 60 days, our team has been booking a lot of appointments with people that we were working with in Q2 and in Q3, right? A year ago, half a year ago. And now they're, those people are coming, coming out of the woodwork, right? Like maybe it was lower interest rates. Maybe they've got big rent increases coming. Like, you know, who knows? But um, so reach back out to the, like have a plan of how you're going to reach back out to leads that you were talking to six months ago, eight months ago, a year ago that haven't bought yet. Yeah. 
You're talking about doing smaller events, like yep. smaller team events to get in front of people. What are some of those events that you did? What are some of those like ideas that people could go try to do? Like, There's a lot of people out there that have never done their first event, right? Yeah. And now they're trying to figure out how do we stay in touch. What are some so of those we, ideas? So we used to do this big fall festival at this like beer garden place, and it, it probably cost tens of thousands of dollars for either us or our sponsors to put on. So we replaced that with a series of, uh, I think we called it Screen on the Green. So we, we bought like an inflatable movie screen and you know, got a permit from the city and, um, you know, did three different movies. So it was like one every month for the fall. And then we told local food trucks, we were doing it and, you know, they, they came and were just there providing, um, people the opportunity to buy their own food. But then like, I think we gave out kids crafts and like popcorn. So like our cost was, I don't, you know, I think all in buying the equipment, it was like a thousand bucks to put on three of them. And, you know, people in the neighborhood would see it. It was just more visibility than doing one thing that costs like 20 grand. So Dude, that's, that's pretty brilliant too, because that's just a, like, that's just like a fun Friday, Saturday night. Like when we go on, uh, on vacation, like we went to Rosemary beach and that was like one of the things like on Thursday night, there's like a screen on the grass and they're watching like a Disney movie from five years ago. Yeah. And everybody was there. Everybody's like, yeah, we got, you know, we got nothing to do. It's a Thursday night. Like let's go out there and everybody grabs a blanket and they sit on the grass. So like what a fun, simple thing that people are like, especially in the neighborhood or nearby, like, why wouldn't we go do this? It's like a fun memory with our kids, right? Go, go out, out on the grass and go, watch something i really like the idea too of just telling food trucks like hey we're going to be here so like so they'll go out there so people have these other op- it makes the event bigger um but yet yeah, such a low cost i think a lot of people could try something like that in their market pretty quickly pretty easily pretty low budget i mean i've been talking to people lately about like renting out full movie theaters and stuff like that or renting out like ba- like little base like doing these different events but i think that the uh People are people are down for for the events like that. I think that's a great idea. What a cool minor minor league baseball games are really good too because they're you know th- those are in a lot of different towns and they don't yeah they don't call, like we used to do the Nationals one <laughs> then that that changed after COVID but um, you know, that's what minor, I've heard. Minor, I heard league minor, are, minor league baseball it's like a, it's a fun event. A lot of people sign yeah. up for it, but yeah, because I, I have some agents um, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and they do the the triple a, you know, Nats game with their clients every year. And, you know, just, I know the cost is like a fraction of what you pay to go to the major leagues. And I think it's like just as much fun, if not more fun. So, yeah. Yeah. People get to have the, have the experience when you can provide a, a company event that also just creates these fun, happy memories for people to do with their family. Like what a, um, what a cool way to say like, Hey, here's a gift that we're giving to you guys that doesn't, that doesn't have to come off as salesy, but ends up being salesy. And they, they remember you're a real estate agent, right? That's the biggest key. I think with so much of the follow-up is them remembering you're an agent, you helped them before. What you don't want to have happen is in six months when they're, when they, they tell you they're going to buy a house in a year, six months from now, they start thinking about it because the rates get a little drop and they're like, okay, now we're ready. And they forget that you're an agent. Right. That happens. Like people forget it's ridiculous, but what, um, when did you get your license? Your first, when did you first get licensed? 2011. 
2011. That was a um, that was an an interesting time because prices were kind of in, in a lot of markets were. And you were in Washington D.C. at that time. Yeah. So yeah. I guess you tell me what was the market like back then, and, and any comparison to how it is now. It was fewer transactions, low inventory. I mean, a lot of now that I'm saying it out loud, like a lot of the same effects. Like there weren't, you know, there were their problem with move up buyers back then is like they didn't have a place to, to buy, right? Mm-hmm. So people there's just less deals in the market. So my first year I had to really go out and get good at finding off market homes. Like you know, I would meet with a buyer, get their criteria. Like, okay, um, bad news. There's there's nothing on the market. You know, good news. There's only fifty of them in Arlington. So I'm just going to go knock on those fifty doors, and you know, and I'd find them a, a seller. Yeah. Uh, that so that was that was kind of how I started in the environment. So some some similarities in that there's like low inventory, and people didn't people didn't know like what was going on. I think the peak to trough in most places in DC was like 10 to 15%. So, you know, most, most people were not upside down. Um, there were some people that maybe bought in like pre-construction condos at the height of the market that took like a 10% hit, but that's not too bad. Right. <laughs> it's funny, um, right? It's exactly like right now, like yeah. 2010, 2011 feels so much like right now. What I like about what you just said, one of the things I've been trying to tell people, so in like 2010, the beginning of the year, my wife's not an agent, right? She gets her broker's license beginning of 2010. I start buying foreclosures, fixing them and having her sell them. And the first year she's like the third you know, biggest person in Northern California for volume. Next year, she's like at the top and she's hitting like this champions thing. And they're going, you weren't even an agent two years ago. How are you getting such a big chunk of the market today? But the whole key was we we made that market with off-market buyers. Now, at that time, it was buying foreclosures and fixing them and selling them. But right. you're talking about doing something similar where it was like, where since you had to find the market, like people want to buy for a certain price. It's really hard to find people that want to sell for that price. So then you were becoming that middleman. Talk about that process for a little bit and see if maybe there might be something in there that somebody today could apply in their local market. Like kind of just unwrap that process. So somebody finds a buyer, the buyer says, hey, I want to do this, but I can only pay this much for it. But we can't find a seller that's willing to to take that for it. Yeah, usually it, it usually would mean you have to find a seller that has a life event that's compelling them to move. So as I'm thinking about a lot of my off market deals, I know like, um, you know, one of them got transferred job transferred to the other coast. Another one was in a condo and had a baby had to go, you know, move to a single family. Um, another one, I know there was a divorce. So I think, I think a lot of the ones I found life events were dictating, that they sell and people, people didn't really know what the price was. You know, they knew what the last one traded for, but the last one might've traded four or five months ago. So there was this lag and, you know, you didn't know, like you knew you'd get more than that, but you didn't know how much because, you know, there, there just wasn't a lot of volume, but when, when there's 
demand for it and not a lot of inventory, you're going to have some floor on pricing. So I think like people that are looking at April, May, maybe June 22 pricing, if they had to sell now, they might be disappointed. But if you're outside of that peak, you know, you're, you're, you're probably okay. It's just most of the, most of the sellers I found then were, they had life events that were compelling them to move, which that might be what we're in now, right? With 3% interest rates, like you're, you're probably not going to sell unless you have to, unless you, you know, a life event is compelling you to move and you need the equity out of that house. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Erdem Buchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time, and when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use Follow Up Boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. I love Follow Up Boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow-up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow-up boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, call action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to follow-up boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Brivity, Sync. I've looked at Boomtown like real geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown, I've used LineDesk, I've used Conversion, and I think follow-up boss gives you the most integrations mm -hmm. that are simple, and it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform. Yet at the same time, it's still affordable. I do like Follow Up Boss better just because it you can text from the app and things like that. It's just a little more convenient for me. Um, it tracks everything that I need. I can customize it if I want. If I want to go smart list based, that's fine. If I want to go task based, it's fine. I think it's one of the best systems and it's very user friendly. It just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race with Follow Up Boss. Purely objective. Follow-up boss has been the best one that we've found. Now I've used follow-up boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, you get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial and check it out especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet, this will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. And when you would do that first, you would essentially find a buyer client and that buyer client would say, I want to own a house in this neighborhood. Yep. And you're like, there's no houses for sale in that neighborhood, but now there's only, but there's only 50 that meet your spec. So I'll go door knock. Because the reality is, is like most of them would say, no, 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 no. And then somebody says, well, like, yeah, we're actually, we think that we're going to have to do that pretty soon, but we've heard it's not a very good time to sell right now. Like, so those, the concerns yeah, that have kept them from so, going all the way and you're catching them at that moment. I would leave this little note behind because most people didn't answer. Uh, but so if they didn't, I would leave them a note and it basically said like, Hey, I've got a client looking for a home like yours. Uh, Due to the lack of inventory, 
you know, you might be surprised by what your home could sell for. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's a like listeners, that's a perfect perfect strategy for right now. Like the because I think so many sellers are, right now are like, man, we should have we're saying about properties. Man, we should have sold these in January. Man, now we're stuck. Like and I think the idea of being able to just very slowly go, you might you might be surprised, like due to the lack of inventory, you might be surprised at what prices have done. I know there's been a lot of talk about you know, price going down, you might be surprised. That at least gets the call, uh, you know, gets the foot in the door. I love that first strategy for people out there right now because I think so many of you agents listening, you have to go create your market yep. and you have to go create your volume because it's not it's not just going to come back uh, the way that it was for all the reasons we talked about, you know, for the, the stuff that's, but it's, it's low inventory but low transactions and there's a big gap between what sellers want, what buyers can pay in a lot of markets. And we'll see, you know, where that pushes. And um, so what's something like when you think back to, so you've been an agent now for 12 years and you got to see, like you came in at, at a difficult time. You were an agent during some pretty boom times, like 2012 to 2015 was pretty big. And then, and then we had this normal kind of market until about 2020. And then in 2020, the market just went bananas. But like looking back, what's one or two things that you wish you would have known when you first got licensed? Like something I, you've learned. I never really paid a whole heck of a lot of attention to the market itself. Like I don't, I don't look back and think, oh, 2012 to 2015 was a boom, and then 8, 15 to 19 was uh, normal. Like I, you know, just hearing you say that, I'm kind of like, oh, was it? You know, I, I, I almost like didn't know. So I think, I think as a real estate agent, no matter what the market does there's always enough business for you it's just a matter of you know getting the right um getting the right leads offering the right uh having the right conversations with with buyers and sellers you know making sure your your expenses make sense for your revenue it's like if you, if you do all those kind of like basic things i think i think it just almost doesn't matter what the market does right if you're if you're an order taker if you're low sales skills then your business is going to be a lot more market driven than driven by you and there's a strategy in that right there's there's really a strategy in that of your idea of you said i don't really pay attention to what's going on in the market and and i and i could see some people going like well hey but you're supposed to know but no no the reality is is you're not going to take the news out there in the market telling you, Hey, this is going on. You're not going to let that impact your drive. Like you're going to see what's happening in your world and then pivot in order to get the deals that you want or the ways that you have to get them. Um, I like what you talked about early on too, about switching, you know, looking at the leads, trying to determine what our ROI is and then going, okay, these ones aren't having the ROI that they used to have and switching, but also going back to those free leads. Like as long as you're doing, doing the follow-up, splitting up a certain amount of time from like, incoming paid to these free leads because the the other unique thing about this time um is people get unhappy with their agents they don't yep. really blame the market right they blame the agents which isn't right but it's just the reality so you give somebody a, a chance to go like oh well if my agent would have done more open houses my property would have sold right and when you're calling those people if you can, in my mind, I'm thinking as long as you can figure out why you, you can ask them, Hey, why didn't your house sell? 
Yeah. And if they tell you that it and regard and, and if there's a concern that they tell you that you can solve, that's like the easiest next part of the thing. Well, hey, would you want to give it would you would you want to give us another chance if we don't have that be the problem anymore? Because even though even if you believe it, like if they say like, hey, my agent didn't do flyers and open houses and door knock neighborhood <laughs> and you're like, OK, I don't think that sold it. But if they're, if you're like, hey, I think that I could get them to get reasonable with this, this, and this, like, or fine, I'll do open houses and, and that. Like, even if you don't believe, like, I think there's just a way to ask them, like, why didn't it sell? And then being able to say, like, will you give me a chance if I can do that? What scripture are you doing or telling your team to do on some of those? Yeah, so on expired um, and withdrawn sellers, we, we've had a fair amount of success with those uh, lately. And, you know, we always ask them, like, if we're able to get you an offer from a qualified buyer at, you know, at market price, are you still interested in selling, right? We always want to establish the timing and motivation. So what's, you know, in what's making you want to sell this house? It's such a nice house, right? When, when would you like to sell it? Okay. And then we will ask that question that you said, like, well, why do you think it didn't sell? What went wrong? Um, and then we're going to try and tie everything back to the timing and motivation. Right. So it'd be like, well, I understand you think, you know, it didn't sell because, you know, the open houses weren't good. If I, if I could show you a plan that would give you effective open houses, plus these other three things that I'm going to do, like stack on it. Right. Um, would that be something you'd be interested in exploring so that we can get your home sold in the next 60 days so that you can move to Texas, right. Or whatever their, their motivation was. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's basically finding out that timing and motivation, what went wrong and then tying how we'll solve it all for them. Yeah. The, I like that. I like that as some scripts. So let's, let's change, switch, switch gears a little bit right now. So the, um, you know, one of the big ways you and I get to keep up is through social media. I've seen you like kind of your social media has been growing quite a bit. Uh, I think what's your, what are some strategies that our listeners can do out there for, you know, to do that? Like so many people know, like I need to make consistent posts yep. they have a tough time, you know, sticking with it. They have a tough time coming up with content. I remember there was like a series of videos you did like one a day that was like showing like, I think it was like a state of the country. I don't remember what the oh, ranking yeah. we did system like was. Top, we ranked all the states by which ones to invest in. Yeah, there was like states to invest in, and then once, like, and then one day you do like number ten is this. It was like a fifteen second video, and then that was it. Yeah, and the next day would be like number nine is this. What are some different ideas and things <laughs> like that that people could apply, or what are you seeing work really well um, as you're trying to to grow your social media reach? Well, definitely consistency and getting, and, and you have to get good at video, especially vertical video. So the TikToks, Reels, YouTube Shorts, and then I think. Building the muscle of just at least making one a day, right? One video a day. If you can post one reel a day, like you'll you'll figure it out eventually. And then, two, most agents should not do what I do. I make content that is more geared towards real estate agents, right? I think most real estate agents, you should be making content that is going to portray you as a local expert, right? Mm -hmm. A local expert that's also a human, so humanize it, right? So. Um, you know, don't make the whole page about you doing triathlons, but, but if you do triathlons, like bring that in every now and then, right? Like, so, so make yourself a local 
human <laughs> expert uh, with your content and, and post more of it. Most people yeah. just don't post enough. Yeah, posting the consistency, kind of come up with one of those ideas that you could do uh, that does get you. You know, a you week could you could rank content. like the top ten restaurants in your your city, or you know, even like rank neighborhoods in a certain region. Like, there's there's all sorts of ways that you could kind of play off that that state idea that we did. Yeah, yeah, and I think the way that uh, for people out there too. The concept that I was talking about that Dan did, he could have made one video that said, here's the top 10 states to invest in and just said, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, Arizona, whatever they were, right? And it could be a 30 second to one minute reel. And that's what we're seeing a lot of. You see a lot of that and you go, great, that was a good idea. That only bought me a day. Right. And one of the concepts they were doing, they were taking this, essentially the same concept and just releasing one a day. Like, hey, top 10 restaurants in, in, my, in my area, that's a great thing for an agent to establish themselves for content, for locals to come back and look at you on YouTube, things like that. You know, people are going to search best restaurants in Raleigh. And the, if they go to your YouTube page where you're ranking the best restaurants in Raleigh, that's going to work. But also splitting it into multiple. Where on one day, he's like, this is number 10. Come back tomorrow, and I'll tell you that w- w- the restaurant that got number nine on our survey. Yeah. And you film it, it all. you film it all in like something like that. You could film it all in 30 minutes. Like we did this, I did the state one in like an hour and a half and it was like a month of content. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like batching it out that way. So every time you guys come up with a good idea for social, maybe ask yourselves, is this something that we can split up over a few days or a week or a few weeks or even a month? Uh, like Daniel did, how many people are on your team now or in, like in your office? So it's, it's, so it's your wife, Carrie Scholl team. You guys have a bunch of, a bunch of agents. How many do you guys have right now? We've got a, about 40 agents that are on the Carrie Scholl team. I love seeing the videos where you're interviewing. It's like you're chasing one of the team members around like at the coffee pot and you're like, Hey, where did you, <laughs> where did you go to school? Yeah. What did you, what did you do? How much money did you, how much money did you make last year? Right. And it's really getting to highlight these people that are it's really highlighting the beauty of real estate too, where it's like, Hey, like you're making a lot of money and you didn't have to go to college or you're doing it's It's just like these fun things to highlight. Yeah. The first, or, the first couple of times we did that version with Elisa, we were getting five, 6 million views on TikTok, and we don't get quite as many now when we, we, cause we do different versions of that one still but yeah people people love that one loved her people yeah people love it it's crazy like my brother just took his whole team to cabo right for a, a like hey you guys hit a certain number of sales hey we're gonna go to cabo and i'm telling him like god you got to have ways to take that content and turn it into something where other agents in town are going to be like wait what everybody on your everybody on your team you took to cabo like i I never got, I've never been to Cabo and my broker never brought me on a trip because other people in my office did good. Right. Like, so figuring out, but yeah, that, those, that was a, that's a good video that makes sense that why it grows so much. Um, you're like, Hey, this girl's making a lot of money. She's great. You get a lot of views and people reach out and you go, I want to make a lot of money like her or the, so you recently switched brokerages. I remember you had done a video that was like, um, you know what people do and when, when the athlete video, I think it was at the end of the year, where athletes were picking like what colleges they're going to go to or what team they're going to go play for, where they're sitting there at the desk and they have all the hats in front of them and they take it on and you threw on your, uh, your EXP hat. And for the longest time you were with, were you with KW? 
We were we were independent the last eight mm-hmm. years. Prior to that, we were at KW, and I started my career at Century Twenty One. Carrie started at Remax, so we were we were on our own. You know, keeping one hundred percent of everything for eight yeah. years. Cool. So you did it a bunch of different ways, and what made you decide that you wanted to kind of go like affiliate, like reaffiliated after being on your own for eight years? Like, why did you decide it was a good time to to change your whole setup? Well, we. We tried to expand into Florida, the team, you know, during COVID, and it 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 was hard. Like I had to go get licenses as a broker, set up new shops. Then we're like, well, do we need to do we need to go brick and mortar? And um, so we kind of beat our heads against the wall for a while, for about a year, uh, with with that. Like, how do we expand beyond the DC area, right? Um, and I realized like, if we're going to go into multiple States, it's, it's just going to be never ending licensing, hiring brokers and this, that, and the other. And I don't want to be broker in like multiple States. So yeah. there was that element. Um, TikTok played a role in it, right? I was getting a lot of people from TikTok and Instagram in 2021, like asking to be on our team and I'm like, okay, great. Where do you live? Austin. I'm like, okay, do you want to move to DC? Yeah. Um, and a couple of people did, a couple of people moved to go join our team, but I realized, you know, there's some amount of real estate agents out there that like what we're doing, want to be a part of it. And the, the EXP model gave us the best way to expand outside of our local market. You know, we can go into, any state, 50 states, 24 countries, and, um, you know, people join EXP. They name me or Carrie as their sponsor. We give them our coaching programs, right? We give them all of our coaching programs as, as a benefit for, for being at EXP with us. They get, you know, I don't have to set up a new company for them if they're in a new state. They just join EXP in that state. They get a low cap, so only only 16000 uh, for a solo agent. Um, and then, you know, we get the benefit of revenue share, which is like real, real money. And it, it took me seeing someone who was, you know, operating at one of the higher levels with regards to revenue share at EXP to like really get it and see what was possible. And I was like, wow, that's, those are some big numbers. And I can focus on the things that I like doing, which is, you know, marketing, recruiting and, and training. So, um, it, it just fit everything we wanted to do with regards to expansion. And I, I think there's a massive opportunity there for us. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense because there's so many pros and cons to being affiliated or not. Right. There, there's, there's, there's lots of them, you know, and I think a lot of people make that transition to go from sometimes agents just want to be team leads and that's great. And sometimes team leads want to be brokers. I remember that was the route that we did out in California. We wanted to be an independent brokerage. So we had we, we started Capri Property Real Estate. We owned the company. We owned all of, uh, we, like, we, we, we owned it, right? So every agent was just a part of our system. We could, we could make our systems. And I think in California and Oregon, it's really, really common. And people will talk about, well, there isn't really an advantage to join a KW or an EXP or something like that. But it makes a lot of sense, too, that whole idea of expansion. Because it does when you when we were in Northern California and we had our brokerage office, 
and everywhere we went in California, that was going to suffice. Like, and it was a really big market, right? From the top of California, there was a lot of cities that got combined in that market without having to do any sort of extra stuff. But when you start to cross state lines, I totally, that makes sense to me then why you were like, okay, we're ready. Rather than like, go do what we did here and rebuild it. Let's just, you know, is there a way that we can do it a little easier? Or I'll get a lot of people listen to my podcast that'll say, hey, Aaron, we want to join, we want to join your team. We want to join your office. How do we, how do we do that? Or they say, who should I go with? I'm a new agent. Who should I go with? Where should I go? And the, and I don't have any sort of, um, I don't have any affiliate deal. I just get to, I figure out people that are listeners or sometimes you guys will see me put it on my Instagram. Like, Hey, who's over in this area? And if it's somebody that I've been chatting with, I'll try to do some introductions that way. So, well, I'm happy for you guys that you've made that, that you decide to, uh, you know, to jump and continue to expand. And it says a lot too, about being able to, you know, learn, we don't have to be set in ways forever, like as part of pivots and things like that. Like, yeah, you've done a whole bunch of different ways and, and who knows what it'll be like later, but it's okay to go like, all right, I did this business plan for a while and now I'm going to make a change on one of my businesses. I just did, I do major layoffs and major like switches on one of, on one of my revenue streams. And that was a bummer. So there's times you go like, no, it's like sometimes you got to stop doing it one way to pivot and see what's working another. And I think my last, my last question will just be like predictions or where do you think the market's going over the next year or what is the most important thing you're going to be working on over the next year? I, I think we're going to see the same amount of transactions we did in uh, like Q3, Q4. So probably like slightly less than we saw in 22. So I think it's going to be low transaction. Uh, I don't, I don't think huge price drops are coming. I do kind of think interest rates are going to, you know, just when you look at the mortgage bankers forecast and yeah, I, th- I think that they're going to settle out in the fives probably, you know, we'll, we'll see. So I think, I think this is going to be a market for agents that really focus on their sales and marketing skills and learning how to have the right conversations. So my focus is really on recruiting agents to the team and in the, the DC area and recruiting agents to join us at EXP. I think we're in 14 or 15 states now, our group, you know, we're adding 20, 25 agents a month. So hopefully that pace will get even bigger as the group grows. So uh, that's, you know, I'm really focused on just finding agents in any market that want to want to, you know, come on board with us and, and get our coaching, get our mentoring, get our training and, and really be partners. Yeah. Yeah. I think your, um, I think your prediction, I think, I think rates are going to, when they settle, it'll be like five and a half percent. It's going to be like as good as it gets. That's going to be the new, the new it. And so once that kind of locks in and everybody, you know, eventually markets balance out and time changes, but the, I think that's, I think it'll, that, that's where it'll balance out as it does that. Dan, if people want to come reach out to you, they want to learn more about whatever you're doing. They want to learn more about EXP. They want to get some strategies on, on uh, you know, what else they can do when they're door knocking on those scripts. What's the best way they can find you? Yeah, you can you can check out our podcast, Hyperfest Agent. You can find me on Instagram or TikTok, or you can text me. My cell phone is 703-638-4393, and it's, that's not like an auto responder. That's my cell phone. So it's 703-638-4393. 
Awesome. Dan, the fun catching up. We got to catch up for like 10 minutes before we hit that recorder on. The Not sure where we'll bump into each other next, but I'm sure it'll be uh, somewhere soon. Congrats on having such a, a good year and a good outlook on the year, and I can't wait to have you on again. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show. Or having we'll say rock show. stars. <laughs> Thanks for listening. All right, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully, you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also, we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you like, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents, and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, We've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients, and we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com, and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate, how to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff rebusuniversity.com and if you want to chat with me go find me on Instagram if you come find me on Instagram you can send me messages tell me what you want to hear tell me what you liked what you didn't like we try to put a bunch of content out there too you can find me in two different places it's at rerockstars.com for our real estate rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things thanks for listening we'll see you again soon This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.